Volume Two, Chapter Nine of *The Vicar of Rexhill*. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. *The Vicar of Rexhill* by Francis Milton Trollope. Volume Two, Chapter Nine. Discussion on Truth. Mister Corbold installed. Having called at the vicarage for Miss Cartwright, they proceeded homeward along the pleasant paths they had so often trod with light-hearted gaiety. But now there was a look of care and anxious thoughtfulness on each young brow that seemed to say their happiness was blighted by the fear of sorrow to come though not at all able to understand henrietta and not above half liking her there was yet more feeling of intimacy between miss torrington and her than had been attained by any other of the family it was she therefore who after preceding the others by a few rapid steps up the hill rang the bell of the vicarage and waited in the porch for miss cartwright during these few moments the trio had passed on and miss torrington finding herself tete-a-tete -tete with the vicar's daughter ventured to relate to her pretty nearly all that occurred at the house of mrs richards by no means omitting the resolution that the lady had come to respecting mr cartwright i am very sorry for it said henrietta you regret the loss of their society then for your sake henrietta i am sorry too for my sake i regret the loss of their society are you not mocking me you know i am not replied rosalind in a tone of vexation why should you not regret the loss of mrs richard's society only because there is no society in the world that i could either wish for or regret it is hardly fair in you miss cartwright said rosalind to excite my interest so often as you do and yet to leave it for ever pining for want of a more full and generous confidence i have no such feeling as generosity in me and as to exciting your interest i do assure you it is quite involuntarily and indeed i should think that no human being could be less likely to trouble their fellow-creatures in that way than myself but is there not at least a little wilfulness henrietta in the manner in which from time to time you throw out a bait to my curiosity it is weakness not wilfulness rosalind i am ashamed to confess even to myself that there are moments when i fancy i should like to love you and then i would give more than my worthless life if i had it that you should love me when this contemptible folly seizes me i may perhaps as you say throw out a bait to catch your curiosity and then it is i utter the words of which you complain but you must allow that this childishness never holds me long and that the moment it is past i become as reasonable and as wretched again as ever will you tell me whether this feeling of profound contempt for yourself whenever you are conscious of a kindly sentiment towards me arises from your conviction of my individual despicability or from believing that all human affections are degrading not exactly from either as for you rosalind is it not the weak and wavering hamlet who says in one of those flashes of fine philosophy that burst athwart the gloom of his poor troubled spirit give me that man that is not passion's slave my wits are often as much diseased as his i believe but i too have my intervals and when the moon is not at the full i sometimes sketch the portrait of a being that one might venture to love i however have no quarrel against passion it is not from thence my sorrows have come but i would say give me that friend that is not falsehood's slave and i will wear him or her rosalind in my heart's core i in my heart of heart and if after all my hard schooling i could be simple enough to believe that anything in human form could be true i should be more likely to commit the folly about you than about any one i ever saw in my life but you still believe me false i do and why henrietta because you are a woman no no because you are a human being 
and you really without meaning to season your speech with pungent crystals of satire you really do not believe that truth can be found in any human being i really do not heaven help you then i would rather pass my life in a roofless cabin and feed on potato parings than live in such a persuasion and so would i rosalind then why do you nourish such hateful theories i shall begin to think your jesting words too true henrietta and believe indeed that your wits are not quite healthy would i could believe it i would submit to a straight waistcoat and a shaven crown to-morrow if i could but persuade myself that i was mad and that all that i have fancied going on around me were but so many vapours from a moon-sick brain and so they have been if you construe every word you hear and act you see into falsehood and delusion rosalind rosalind how can i do otherwise come come enough of this do not force me against my will against my resolution to tell you what has brought me to the wretched hopeless state of apathy in which you found me were i to do this you would only have to follow the weakness of your nature and believe in order to become as moody and miserable as myself but you do not mean to tell me that i should be proving my weakness in believing you indeed i do you surely cannot be altogether so credulous as to suppose that all you see in me is true sincere candid open honest are you honest now in telling me that you are false why partly yes and partly no rosalind and it is just such a question as that which sets one upon discovering how contrary to our very essence it is to be purely and altogether true but were i one of those who fancy that pincushions are often made by the merciful decrees of an all-wise providence i should say that we are ordained to be false in order to prevent our being straightforward undisguised demons why i look you who sit netting a purse that i hope will never be finished as diligently as if my life would be saved by completing the last stitch by a given time and as quietly as if i had no nails upon my fingers and no pointed scissors in my netting case even i all harmless as i seem would be likely were it not for my consummate hypocrisy to be stabbing and scratching half a dozen times a day and were you freed from this restraint would your maiming propensities betray themselves promiscuously or be confined to one or more particular objects not quite promiscuously i think but hypocrisy apart for a moment do you not perceive that mr charles mowbray has been looking round at us at both of us observe about once in every second minute do you know that i think he would like us both of us observe to walk on and join the party well then let us do so said rosalind as they drew near the house they perceived mr stephen corbold wandering round it his hands behind his back and under his coat and his eyes now raised to the stately portico now lowered to the long range of windows belonging to the conservatory at one moment sent a field over the spacious park and in the next brought back again to contemplate anew the noble mansion to which it belonged during one of the wanderings of those speculating orbs he spied the advancing party and immediately settling himself in his attire and assuming the more graceful attitude obtained by thrusting a hand in each side pocket of his nether garments he resolutely walked forward to meet them fanny his friends and kinsfolk being ever in her memory made an effort which seemed to combat instinct and put out her little hand to welcome him but before he was fully aware of the honour for indeed his eyes were fixed upon her elder sister she coloured and withdrew it again satisfying her hospitable feelings by pronouncing simply his name but with a sort of indistinctness in the accent which seemed to signify that something more had either preceded or followed it this word the only one which greeted him brought him instantly to her side and even gave him the prodigious audacity to offer his arm which however she did not accept for at that moment the hook of her parasol became entangled in the fringe of her shawl and it seemed to require vast patience and perseverance to extricate it 
still notwithstanding this little disappointment he kept close to her side for helen leant upon the arm of her brother and though still persuaded that by the aid of his reverend cousin he should be able to obtain her and pretty nearly everything else he wished for he had no particular inclination to renew the courtship he had begun on the journey in the presence of charles fanny therefore and her attendant entered the house together while the rest wheeled off in order to avail themselves of a postern entrance by which the ladies might reach their rooms without any risk of again encountering mr corbold who by a sort of tacit consent seemed equally avoided by all the survey which this person was taking of the premises when the walking party returned was neither the first second third nor fourth which he had had the opportunity of making since their setting out for in obedience to mr cartwright's hint he had no sooner received from mrs mowbray under the instructions from that reverend person the orders necessary for the new arrangements about to be made than he retired the vicar remaining with the widow and the keys of her title-deeds which perhaps he had reason for thinking would be as safe anywhere else as in his cousin stephen's pocket the tete-a-tete which followed the attorney's departure was long interesting and very confidential on the part of the gentleman great skill was displayed by the manner in which the following subjects were made to mix and mingle together till like to a skilfully composed ragout no flavour of any kind was left distinctly perceptible but the effect of the whole was just what the artist intended it should be the subjects leading to and composing this general effect were first the deep interest raised in the breast of every good man by the sight of a gentle and heavenly-minded woman in want of assistance to carry her through the wearying and unspiritual cares incident to our passage through this world of sin secondly the exceeding outpouring of mercy to be traced in such dispensations as led the unawakened to look for such aid and assistance from those who have been called and elected thirdly the blessed assurance of everlasting joy that never failed to visit those who left husband or child for the lord's sake fourthly the unerring wisdom of providence in the placing the tender consciences of the newly chosen in the keeping of those who best know how to lead them aright fifthly the damnable and never to be atoned for wickedness of struggling against heaven for the sake of any worldly feelings or affections whatever and sixthly the saving merit surpassing all the works that our sinful nature could ever permit us to perform which is found in such as cling to the spoken word and who hold fast to the persecuted and oppressed who preach it on these themes blended and harmonized together so as completely to mystify the mind of the weak and nervous mrs mowbray and accompanied with just so much gentle demonstration of affectionate tenderness as might soften without alarming her did the vicar of rexhill discourse for the three hours that they were left alone it would lead my narrative into too great length were every step recorded by which all mrs mowbray's other feelings were made to merge in the one overwhelming influence of calvinistic terror on one side and calvinistic pride at presumed election on the other the wily vicar contrived in the course of a few months so completely to rule the heart and head of this poor lady that she looked upon her son charles as a reprobate who unless speedily changed in spirit by severe discipline and the constant prayers of mr cartwright must inevitably pass from this mortal life to a state of endless torture in the life to come for helen she was bade to hope that the time of election after much wrestling would come in fanny she was told to glory and rejoice and for miss torrington quietly to wait the appointed time till heaven should make its voice heard when it would be borne in upon his mind or upon that of some one of the elect whether she must be given over to eternal destruction or saved with the remnant of the true flock which he and his brother shepherds were bringing together into one fold but with all this though eternally talking of the mystical and heavenly love which was ever blended with insidious demonstrations of holy brotherly and christian tenderness mr cartwright had never yet spoken to the widow mowbray of marriage 
she had been six months a widow and her deep mourning weeds were exchanged for a dress elegantly becoming but still marking her as belonging to what mr cartwright constantly called in the midst of all his prosperous intrigues the persecuted church mr stephen corbold was comfortably settled in a snug little mansion in the village and though he had never yet got hold of the title deeds he had begun to receive the rents of the mowbray estates he too was waiting the appointed time namely the installing of his cousin at the park for the fruition of all his hopes in the possession of helen and in such a fortune with her as his report of her progress towards regeneration might entitle her to mrs richards had been refused bread by a converted baker beer by an elected brewer and soap and candles by that pious painstaking prayerful servant of the lord richard white the tallow-chandler her daughters however still held fast to the faith though their poor mother grew thinner and paler every day and continued to meet the vicar sometimes in the highways sometimes in the byways and sometimes in the exemplary mrs simpson's drawing-room colonel harrington had returned to his regiment without ever again seeing helen who had been forbidden with such awful denunciations in case of disobedience from ever holding any intercourse direct or indirect with the family at oakley that though she pined in thought she obeyed and was daily denounced by sir gilbert and his lady though happily she knew it not as the most ungrateful and heartless of girls fanny was growing tall thin sour-looking and miserable for having a sort of stubborn feeling within her which resisted the assurances she almost hourly received of having been elected to eternal grace she was secretly torturing her distempered conscience with the belief that she was deluding every one but her creator that he alone read her heart and knew her to be a reprobate hardened and unregenerate and that she must finally and inevitably come to be the prey of the worm that dieth not and the fire that is never quenched the sufferings of this innocent young creature under this terrible persuasion were dreadful and the more so because she communicated them to none had she displayed the secret terrors of her soul to mr cartwright or her mother she knew she should be told with praises and caresses that she was only the more blessed and sure of immortal glory for feeling them had she opened her heart to her sister her brother or rosalind her sufferings would probably have soon ceased but from this she shrank as from degradation unbearable poor rosalind meanwhile was as profoundly unhappy as it was well possible for a girl to be who was young beautiful rich talented well-born sweet-tempered high-principled not crossed in love and moreover in perfect health young mowbray had just taken a distinguished degree at oxford and having given a farewell banquet to his college friends returned home with the hope of speedily obtaining the commission in a regiment of horse for which his name had been long ago put down by his father it was at this time that several circumstances occurred at rexhill sufficiently important to the principal personages of my narrative to be recorded at some length End of chapter nine